Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Good morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's uh, so glad that you chose to be with us on this uh, rainy, kind of drizzly, kind of Washington, Oregon kind of day. This is California. Come on, we need some sunshine here. <laughs> and we're thankful for the rain. I don't want to say that. Uh, that. But this morning, uh, I want to encourage you to, uh, uh, as Victor talked about these cards, to fill them out. And we would love to put a have a prayer request or a praise on the back. And you can put that in the offering basket when it's being passed later on. If you're our guest uh, and you'd like to receive a little special thank you for being here, if you take your card, don't put it in the offering, take it out and put it, bring it back to the welcome table. Uh, they have a little gift for you and encourage you with that, but glad you're here. And this morning, we're continuing our series in the Bible book of Romans and hitting a very interesting passage that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. And we have the real privilege and honor to have uh, um, Lance, who's preached here before, Lance Leffler, uh, and he's going to come back uh, again. Lance and I uh, met, so we, we decided seven years ago-ish, somewhere around there. I had heard that I came right at the same time he was planning a church. Uh, in uh, Long Beach area, and I had come here and then heard that something was happening over in Long Beach and a new plant that was happening, and then we finally met and had coffee and connected. And I don't know if you know this, but I've been praying for you ever since, so just uh, even on your trip to Mexico. He went to uh, Mexico to do some church planting in Mexico City, and then now God's brought him back here to see what's next, whatever that may be. We're excited for that, but <clears throat> the great part about that is he's a really awesome preacher, and we have the opportunity to hear just God's wisdom through him as he walks us through this incredible passage in Romans chapter 3. So let's give Lance a real good welcome. Thank you, brother. <laughs> you bet. Morning, Cyprus. How are you? Good? We'll see you after this passage. I'm just telling you... Uh, I don't know why I got assigned this passage. This passage is ugly. Um, let, me, let me start by illustrating this so you know where we're going. Uh, when we first moved to Long Beach 14 years ago, we bought a fixer-upper house. We had no idea how much of a fixer-upper it was going to be, but one of the projects was to repipe. We had to get rid of the old galvanized plumbing and put in copper, and I found a really great plumber if you need one. Let me know. He's a great guy. And uh, he spent a lot of time there because we ran, you know, some extra lines and, and whatnot. So I got to know him really well. And, and um, after the repipe, we he and I were sitting at my house one day waiting for the uh, building inspector to come and, and check it off. And, and the water was, you know, the water supply was great, obviously, but the drainage was still a little bit, you know, sketchy. And and I was telling him about it and that we had, you know, used plungers and, a, you know, the snake that you put down the toilet and <clears throat> hadn't really done much. And he says, he says, you know, I, I just got this new piece of equipment. It's a, it's a camera on a cable and you can stick it down the, the sewer line and it's, you know, kind of night vision goggles sort of vision of your sewer line. And I'm like, who wouldn't want to see that? And so he, and normally he charges 
hundreds to do it, but he had just gotten it. He was trying it out and we're sitting there doing nothing. And I go, well, let's do it. So he sticks it down and it's, we were in the back of the house. So it's going all the way under the house down the, the sewer line. And it was pretty clear. As soon as it gets out to the front yard, it explodes with roots and other creative things my kids had flushed uh, from from their toilet down. And so what happened is we had a, a huge ash tree in our front yard and the roots had gone everywhere, even into our both of our neighbors' houses. It was a city tree and we actually got the city to, to remove it eventually. Um, but what happened is at some point the roots had compromised the the clay, the ceramic pipe that's, that goes out in the front yard to, towards the sidewalk to the street. And so as soon as that happens, then all of your sewage seeps out and the grass was amazing by the way i mean because of it um and so we so we're looking on this you know infrared night night vision goggle camera and as soon as it gets to the front yard you just see roots just entangle the whole thing it was and that plus like i said the stuff that my kids had flushed like Apparently, Legos will make it through to the, to, the, to the main line, but the Duplos didn't. So you can see um, all of this stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm amazed that any, let me be ginger about this, any solid matter made it past this clog. Well, we ended up having to dig out the whole line. Um, it was ugly, but, you know, and I felt bad for my kids having to do all that digging. Um, <clears throat> but... When I read the passage that we're looking at this morning, I I say this because this is a warning. This is an ugly passage. And as we go through this, I want you to keep in mind the story of our sewer line. Because where Paul is going to take us is down into, forgive me, the cesspool of the human heart for a reason. Not just because he's mean or that he wants to get a stir out of people. He has a reason for doing it. So you got to hang on for dear life until we get to the end of today. So those who have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 3. Otherwise, you can just look up here and listen along. I'll have everything on the screen. So this is Paul's mouth-stopping message. Paul starts out by saying this, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. This is what he says in verse 9. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. Let me, let me explain that distinction there. I know you've, if you've been here, you've heard this before, but God worked primarily and initially through the Jewish nation uh, and then eventually opened that up to non-Jews, who in the Bible are referred to as Gentiles, and worked with them. So when, when Paul speaks about Jews and Gentiles, he's speaking about God's initially chosen people and really the rest of the world. And, and so in this book, in chapter 1, starting in verse 18, he shows the guilt and accountability of the world before a holy God. And then getting into chapter 2, he tweaks it and begins to speak about his people, his initial people, his original people, the Jewish nation. He says, you're no better you go and you go and you can't go and do the same things and then judge the Gentiles for doing that. And then in chapter three, he brings it all to a head. We're heading to verse 20 at the end of today's message, which is the most depressing section of Romans. And that one verse, verse 20, is the most depressing section. But again, he has a purpose for this. All are under sin, he says. All are under sin. Let that terminology sink in. A lot of times when we think of um, the word sin in the Bible, it's 
uh, going astray, it's making a mistake, it's disobedience. But there are certain places in the Bible, like here, and in chapter 5 also, near the end of chapter 5 of Romans, Paul does the same thing. He talks about the reign of sin. And here he speaks of sin almost like it's a force or like a power over people. And that terminology is key. All are under sin or under the condemnation that comes with sin. So that's crucial to understand. Everything he's going to say in the next few verses, and we're going to read some some scripture rapid fire, starting in verse 10 in, in a second, all of that comes out of that phrase, all are under sin. So you ready? Ready to go down the, forgive me, sewer line? Okay, thank you. I appreciate the enthusiasm. All right, here he goes. So he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All right, right off the bat, it looks like Paul's wrong, doesn't it? Right off the bat, no one is righteous. Well, keep in mind, Paul is doing something here. He's not speaking about the saints who are pursuing Jesus. He's not talking about those faithful who are pursuing God. He's talking about the human condition as we find it, the world as we find it apart from God, which is where most people probably are if you think about it. But he's talking about the raw human condition in this passage. What's the purpose? We'll see that in just a second. But he says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands No one seeks for God. In other words, we have turned aside, and you're going to see this in the next verse. Let's go to the next verse. All have turned aside, and together they've become worthless. That seems harsh. You already feel the weight of this passage, don't you? Especially if you've never read the Bible. If this is your first time in church, you're like, I don't know about this. Probably last time we're visiting here. Don't worry, I'm not here all the time. So, All have turned aside, and together they become worthless. Turned aside, we get. Because here's the thing. I I think almost every one of us can agree, hey, I'm not perfect. Not me, you. Uh, I'm not perfect. Everybody would probably say that. I'm not perfect. But I don't think I'm as bad as Paul makes me seem. And how about that phrase, become worthless? What is that about? Doesn't... Aren't humans valuable in the Christian tradition? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think, I would argue that a theistic tradition, one like ours, where we believe in God and we believe that God created humanity in his image, is the only way to find value in humans, intrinsic value in humans. Do you get me? Let me repeat that. We have our value because we were created in the image of God. Whether you're a follower of Christ or a religious person or not, our value, we have an intrinsic value by being created by a loving God in his image. So then how can he say we're worthless? Well, think about this. If you have something that was designed to do something and yet it doesn't work to do that anymore, it's become, some, some versions will put futile. Maybe that's better. But it's not doing what it was supposed to do. Humans were created to worship God and to do all things to his glory. If we begin to do everything to our own glory, or in any case, not to his glory, then we're not functioning the way we were designed to function. And that's Paul's point. He's not saying we're worthless. He's saying we're not doing what we were designed to do. No one does good, not even one. 
No one does good, not even one. In other words, the bent of humanity is away from pursuing goodness, pursuing God's glory. Next, he says, their throat is an open grave. How about that imagery? Graves, dead bones. Instead of speaking life, we're speaking death. They use their tongues to deceive. You ever known anybody do that? You're like, not me. Uh, Next, it says, the venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Notice the focus on words. Most, most of our sins are with our mouth. At least if you're anything like me. Most of our sins are the things we say that we can't take back. The things we say we regret. The, the wicked thoughts that we express. And so he's coming at this, you know, venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And notice the next verse. He says, their feet are swift to shed blood. Now, looking around the room, mostly religious people here, probably not a lot of you have murdered, I'm guessing. But maybe, maybe one. Maybe you have. But you know, there's an interesting passage in the Gospels where Jesus, he doesn't equate murder with anger. A lot of Christians will say that. We'll see anger is just the same as murder. So that wasn't the point. The point was you, yes, we recognize the gravity of murder, but we have no big deal being angry with somebody. And Jesus said, look, you've murdered them in your heart if you're, if you're angry at them. And I wonder how many of us, let's just be honest, because this is what I thought of this week. How many? I, I don't think I will kill anybody. You don't think you'll kill anybody, as far as you can tell. But let's be honest, if you heard of the untimely demise of one of your enemies, would it not make you pause and say, hmm, that's not bad? Yeah, right now you guys are looking at me like, Lance, you're the most wicked preacher we've ever had at our church. I can't believe they're having you for two weeks in a row. I can't either. Honestly, you're not sitting there nodding and saying, yeah, in my quietest moment, I would admit there's some people I would like to see gone. Paul's point is, we are, there's violence in our culture. There's been violence for, the, for all of human history. And, and he says that their feet, as well as their feet being swift to shed blood, their, in their paths are ruin and misery. Uh, if you're finding this hard, if at this point you're saying, man, Lance, all this negativity is sort of icky. I would suggest if Paul doesn't convince you of the, the dire condition of humanity, morally and spiritually, I, I don't, you could watch CNN. That would help. You could, you could subscribe to the New York Times. Just read the cover articles on the New York Times every day and see. And I like how we, the same person would say, you know, Lance, I don't know. I don't think people are that bad while you're checking your Ring app to make sure nobody's stealing packages off of your porch right now as we're, as we're talking. As you're trying to remember all of your passwords to all the websites that you go to. And you do lock your car, even when you go to Costco. Why? Because you don't trust humans. I don't either. I have a atheist friend. We used to joke because my, uh, I would say, I think humans are monsters. 
And he would say, no, we're a plague. <laughs> he thinks we're a plague on the planet. And finally, Paul wraps it up by saying, there's no fear of God before their eyes. This is a key phrase, I think, that there's no fear of God before their eyes. Um, if you think about it, and, and some of you are like recoiling at that word fear, but, but that's a, well, it's a biblical term. And, and we'll often soften it by calling it reverence or honor. We should reverence God or honor God. And, and that notion is in there, but it's still combined with a sense of fear some, at some level. Now, it's, a, it's not a simplistic concept in the Bible because there's a place in the Bible where it says, fear God and you won't be afraid of anything. I love that phrasing. But let's be honest, um, most of us don't experience much of the presence of God, and so that sense of overwhelmed, being overwhelmed with Him is foreign to us. I always think of this analogy. If I were walking down a dark alley at night, I don't know why we talk like that. Who, who walks down dark alleys at night anyway? And if you do, you kind of deserve what's coming to you, you know? And I saw this big dude coming from the other end. Seven foot two, 400 pounds. I would be scared. And then if emerging in the light, I see it's Shaquille O'Neal, the NBA player, I'd be like, ah, oh, it's just Shaq. Because my understanding is he's a good guy. I don't think if Shaquille's in that alley, he's coming for me. And so I, a part of me would relax and go, oh, it's, it's Shaq. But then another part of me, when I stood next to him and looked up at him, would be like, this guy could crush me if he wanted to. He's ominous physically. And yet God is a bazillion times more awesome than that. So the fact that there's no fear before their eyes, fear is a key concept in the Bible. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. Recognizing there's a God and I'm not him is a huge leap in our understanding of life. And yet Paul says there's no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, so why is he doing this? Why all this, Paul? This is hard to take. And that's why I'm so excited that they gave me next week too, because next week is all good news. Because this week is all bad news, and this is where we're going. This is kind of our key verse. The next verse, or verse 19, he says, So that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may become accountable to God. Back in first century Roman jurisprudence, if you were on trial and you had nothing more you could say in your own defense, you would slap your hand over your mouth to symbolize, I got nothing else to say. And that's the imagery Paul's using so that every mouth may be stopped. You have no more defense before God. If this assessment of the human condition is accurate, that we've gone astray, we've, we've sought our own purpose, our own reason, we haven't honored God, then Paul's correct in saying that every mouth may be stopped and we are responsible or accountable before a holy God for our lives, for the condition of our heart, and for our relationship, or rather lack of relationship with our Creator. And just to drive it home, in the next verse, and this is, I said, this is the depressing verse, he says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. 
Let me read that again. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. This is a key verse. This is the, the whole passage basically is built around this statement that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Let's break this down a little bit and define some of these terms, shall we? Just so we understand this better. So works of the law would simply be good works. Um, Keep in mind, this is a very Jewish context, Romans chapter 3. He's talking, up until the passage that we're in, he was talking about um, the Jewish nation. They're relying on their identity as Jews, their circumcision, their dietary laws, their Sabbath keeping, and the fact that they have the law of Moses and the rest of the world doesn't. This is not every Jew who did that, but this was his audience this, this was the error that had overcome much of the Jewish people. And see, the tendency is very human. Christians do the same thing. We'll trust in our baptism. We'll trust in our church attendance. We'll trust in our Bible reading. We'll trust in our giving. And say, look, God, I've got all of these things I, I gave to you. As if we're putting God or could put God in our debt somehow. And so, but this is a very Jewish context. So by works of the law, Paul's talking about, you know, obeying the Ten Commandments, etc., from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible. All right, the next term is a little bit more technical, and it's a crucial term. The term justified in the Bible may be the most important technical term in the whole Bible. It may be. But it's certainly one of the most. And justified simply means this. It means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. If you, um, if you find yourself here this morning and you, this is your first time at church or first time back to church after a while, and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't totally know what's going on here. I know I, I'm not doing or I don't have what the rest of these people have or are, or are doing then let me explain this. Where we're going with this is, is Paul is painting us, the human race, into a corner that we can't get out. Because, because you can't be declared righteous by your works. In other words, you, could do, you, can't, you can't do any amount of works in your life, good deeds in your life, be a Boy Scout, be whatever, that will get you God's favor. You, can, you can't do enough good stuff in this life to earn God's favor because his standard is so high and so different from ours. And so that's why God sent Jesus as a substitute to suffer the punishment for our sins. And so when, when or if you say, Lance, I want that, I want, I don't fully understand it, but that's what I want. I know I'm separated from God. I know I'm far from God. And I know I can't earn his favor. Then in the quietness of your own heart, right now, you can make that decision to say, Jesus, forgive me. That's it. Place your faith in him. And you're forgiven. And you become his child. And in that moment of transaction where you place your faith in him, God declares you righteous. Or, another term might help you, made right with God. In that moment, you are right 
with God. And that's been the great human search for millennia. How to be right with God. And what we come to find out in the end is it wasn't something we could do by our efforts. But that God did by his efforts. And the beauty of the gospel, and we're going to unpack justified a bit more next week because it's such a rich term, but the beauty of the gospel is in that moment of placing your faith in Jesus, giving yourself to him, you receive his righteous status. That's how God can declare a sinner like me righteous because I share the status of Christ because I am linked to him by faith in that moment when I trust him. So let's go back and let's look at our verse simplified now, if we could. By good works, nobody will become right with God. That's basically what Paul's saying. By good works, nobody will become right with God. Now, like I said before, if you've been searching, if you've been laboring to be right with God by your works, this is the most depressing verse you could ever hear. Because if I can't be made right with God by my good deeds, what else do I have? I don't have anything else. Some of you, um, some of you live a life what I would call like a scales sort of life. You know the old, the old-fashioned scales where there's like two dishes on each side of a balance, and you put stuff in one side and balance it out with the other. And and the one dish is your good works, and the other dish is your bad works. And, and so for you, you, you struggle to make sure your good works are outweighing your bad works. And hopefully that when it comes time to die, your good works are better, are more weighty than your, than your bad works. You know, it's like the old question, what if you're, you know, making out in the backseat of a car when Jesus returns, what happens? People worry about these sorts of things. And so we live our lives with this scale mentality that, how am I doing today? Some of you really take stock in it. Some of you really are like counting it. And you're like, I I don't know how well I'm doing today. And the fact is, at the end of the day, you realize that the scales thing doesn't work at all. Works don't work to earn God's favor. You need something else. I went to the dentist this week two times. Anybody ever have a two times at the dentist week? Yep, sinners like me, right? Um, well, I have an excuse. <laughs> I'll excuse myself because that's what we sinners do. Um, so we were, we were living in Mexico City. Um, we were there for five and a half years. And, and my dentist and hygienist, the two most important people to me after my family, of course, uh, are here in Southern California. I've had the same dentist for 20 years. And I don't like to change dentists or hygienists. Anybody? Don't like to change once you've got them. And I have the best of both. So, But it's been a year and a half since I went. And see, I'm on what they call a four-month recall because I have the most powerful saliva on the planet. And we're going to get gross here, but it's for Jesus. So stick with me. And so I create plaque on my teeth at an exponential rate. So by the time four months goes by, they have to jackhammer me with that ultrasound, ultrasonic thing. Is that the worst thing ever? <clears throat> so imagine what it looked like after a year and a half. It's been a year and a half since I went to the dentist. 
I walk in there and they look at me and they look at my teeth and they're like, ah, I mean, they weren't even nice about it because they were like not only shielded and clad with plaque, but it was going all the way under the gums. And so the hygienist basically had to get in there with that jackhammer ultrasound thing. Not only look, and here's the thing I know about um, teeth. There's two kinds of pain. The one kind I always have when I go to the dentist, and that is um, where they hit the nerve on the, on the root. You guys look really uncomfortable at this point. This is awesome. People don't like the dentist? You know the pain I'm talking about? When they hit with that ultrasonic thing right there, right on that tooth. Because I have gum recession here, so my roots are exposed. So they have to clean the roots real good. But there was a new kind of pain that I experienced this week, and that is they were, they were digging in under the gums to get at that shielding of cladded on plaque. It felt at one point like the hygienist was taking the jaws of life that firemen use, clamping down on my gums and trying to rip them out of my mouth. They weren't nice about it, but I needed them to do that. Just like we need Paul to do this. We won't seek the cure if we don't think we're sick. That was the problem with the religious in Jesus' time. When he came, he said, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Now, the fact was, we're all sick, but if you don't think you're sick, then you're, quote unquote, healthy. And Jesus said, I can't help you. I came for those who know they're sick. And I realized that even, like, I'm going to go back to the dentist in four months. And even, even though I'm a decent, I'm going to do better now. I was scared straight a little bit this week. Decent at flossing and brushing. It still doesn't matter. I still need the hygienist to do for me what I can't do for myself. Now, it's a terrible analogy to, to the cross of Christ, but go with me on this. You won't forget it, I guarantee you. And that's the point. But if you're still living a religious life for the purpose of culling favor with God, you've missed it. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The word gospel means good news because of what God did because of this, because of our situation that, that by good works, we can't be made right with God. Something had to be done and you and I couldn't do it. So who could? Only God. That's why Jesus. And some of you are like, Lance, I believe this. I believe this. I get this. I don't know if we all do. And here's why. Over the years, I've talked to so many um, church-going people who know a bit about the Bible. They, they believe in Jesus. And I say, I ask them this question. If you died today and you went to heaven and Jesus came up and said, why should I let you in to my heaven? What would you say? And almost every time, the person will say, well, because I believe in Jesus, and that's absolutely right. And then they say, and, somebody got it, we had a oops there, and what? And usually it's, I'm a good person, or I try to be a good person. You see, the gospel is not Jesus, and you try to be a good person, to get accepted by God. The gospel is Jesus, period. And that's why I think a lot of us 
may not have focused or digested the gospel, the good news of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for sinners, is because we haven't fully understood how useless our works, our good deeds are, to get accepted by God. And that's where Paul's going. Next week is, believe me, next week is all good news. This week is the bad news. This is the worst section of Romans. Absolute worst. Because he's, he's, basically Paul's trying to crash the plane of humanity. In the sense that, so we take away our trust in ourselves. And recognize, yes, I'm separated from God. I'm a sinner. I'm not Hitler. Nobody said you were. I'm a sinner. And no matter what I do, I can't bring all of my good deeds to God to be accepted by him. Now, Paul's not against obeying God. Christianity is about obeying God. Absolutely. But the question of of how we do good works is the key. If you're doing good works to be accepted by God, then you're missing it. If you're doing good works because you already are accepted by God, then you've got it. And long-time Christ followers can fall into that trap of trying to make it up to God, trying to butter God up. You can. We do. It's part of our nature. It's something we have to fight against. And those good works that you keep trying to bring to God for acceptance maybe out of your own pride, because the gospel takes away our pride. Paul's going to say that next week. Where's boasting then? Paul's like, boasting? (laughs) Ain't no boasting. And see, that cuts against our pride. The gospel cuts against all of us at some level, and this may cut against you because you've always been a good person. And so the idea that Jesus died a horrific death for you, and he had to for you to be linked to God, is sort of abrasive. Beware. The Christian uh, leader, Tim Keller, said a very wise, he said lots of them, but he said a very wise statement in this regard. He said, it's just as possible to avoid Christ by keeping all the rules as it is by breaking all the rules. Our own religiosity can get in the way of having a real relationship with God. All right, in the last minute we have here, we've gone so far down forgive the terminology, the sewer line, looking at the cesspool of the human heart. And we've come to to bankruptcy, to our own, the end of ourselves and realize we can't do it. I just want to jump. I I want us to grab a couple of verses from next week's section to end on. Romans 3.23 says this, for by... For uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's one of the more famous passages in, or verses in the book of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all, including you, including me, have sinned, turned aside, gone our own way, and fall short, haven't lived up to the standard of God's marvelous, fantastic glory. Okay? So Paul places us all in the same pit, but there's, an, there's a solution, and here it is in verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift. Not all, not the whole world, but those who place their faith in him are justified. We looked at that word earlier. Justified means to be declared righteous by his grace as a gift. Justified by his grace as a gift. And grace we'll talk about next week, but grace and gift are almost used as synonyms here. 
Grace is God's gift. This is the key thing I want to leave you with, that that becoming linked with God, that joining God's family is a gift of his grace. It is not the result of your moral efforts. And if you've been on that treadmill trying, trying to be accepted by God, take the grace that God is offering in Christ. That is why Jesus died in our place. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion. And I just pray no matter where you're at, some of you are here at church for the first time hearing all this. You're like, this is all, this is blowing me away, Lance. I've, I, this is all new to me. I'm not sure I get it. Take this time to, to, to reflect on what we talked about, to reflect on this, this one concept that you could receive God's forgiveness as a gift this very moment where you're sitting is the most fantastic news in the world. That's why gospel means good news. That's why we call this preaching and not teaching. Teaching is instructing. Preaching is proclaiming. We are heralding the good news on Sunday mornings. And that's the good news, that your efforts cannot earn you favor with God, but Jesus already has if you'll accept it as a gift. Let me pray for us. Lord, I I lift up each person in this auditorium this morning, uh, wherever they may be in their spiritual journey, in their understanding of you and the gospel. This is a a very rich and complex concept, and, and the book of Romans is very complex. I pray, Father, for that Pharisee who's been judging others and trusting in their good works that you would take their pride away. I pray for the person who's been struggling and uncertain of your love, that you would remind them of your love this morning. I pray for anybody here who's here for the first time, who's hearing this all for the first time, that you would really make yourself real to them. In Jesus' name, amen.